0: Me a favor and open up your bible to the book of psalm chapter 19 we'll begin psalm 19 and romans 120 are going to be our foundational text for this morning and when you get there i come from youth ministry so i like interaction so you just say i got it when you get there you can shout at me it's okay I got it. and they'll bring it up on the screen for you too if you don't have it As you begin to look up, you might be a little frightened, but we'll talk a little bit about that today. Psalm 19, verse 1. Again, if you're there, just shout at me. Say, I got it. I got it. Okay. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, which is the sky, shows forth his handiwork. Day after day utters speech, and night after night reveals Knowledge. Now Romans chapter 1, verse 20, please. Romans 1:20. and again you can shout at me and tell me you got it. Romans 120. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. I love this passage here. everyone there. Okay, here we go. For since the creation of the world, his, who is God, invisible attributes, characteristics, personality traits have been clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, even his eternal Godhead, so that they, who is men, are without excuse." You see, one of the great deceptions in our world today is that the enemy has us so focused on binge-watching, so focused on scrolling, that we don't even step outside to experience God's nature and his creation, which is where he has revealed himself. How did the uh, St. Patrick teach Ireland about the Savior through the clover, the three-leaf clover, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? You see, God has interwoven his personality. God has interwoven his character traits and who he is into his creation. And we're not experiencing so much of that today because we're so distracted. See, the enemy is at work right now and many of us don't even realize that. He is lulling us. You see, young people, and this is all they're doing. Do you know that the, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they are literally made to scroll to scroll endlessly so that you waste your life and waste your time and you didn't realize you just spent two hours scrolling. Netflix and Amazon, all good, I enjoy Amazon, love to catch those movies, but they are designed for binge watching. The problem is we get so focused... You know, uh, my brother just blessed me with a new flat screen TV. Now, I have never purchased a TV since I have been married for 11 years. We have always received TVs as a gift. My brother came to my house for my oldest son's birthday last week, and he's like, I cannot believe that that is your television. Like, you've got to be kidding me. All the kids are standing up at the screen so that they can see the movie. And he just says to me, Hey, if I buy you a TV, would you use it? And I'm like, yeah, but you're crazy. So lo and behold this week, he texted me, he said, come on, pick up your new TV. And it's amazing. The difference, you don't have to walk up to the TV to see it. You can sit. You actually can sit. I texted him yesterday. Wow. You can just sit at the couch and watch the TV. This is amazing. And that's great. We're enjoying that, but see that can never become our focus. God is looking to stir our hearts. And the moment we put down the phone, the moment we put down the tablet, the moment we walk away from the television and begin to step outside, God reveals himself to us through his creation. And you know, one of the, one of the creatures I have always been fascinated with is the sockeye salmon. And that's this little guy right up here. How many of you have ever heard of the sockeye salmon? Now this is a fascinating creature because the sockeye salmon, which hails in like the rivers of Alaska, is really birthed in a humble beginning. It's born in a riverbed and then it spends about the first two years of its life just kind of enjoying the river and the ease of life. It starts growing. It goes through four or five different stages of growth. And then about the third year, it heads out to the open ocean. It heads out to the open sea. And it just begins to experience all that God made it to experience. But something happens to the sockeye salmon. About the fourth year or fifth year of its life, instinct kicks in. It stops what it's doing. It turns around and begins to go upstream. The instinct that kicks in is that life is short And I have to spawn a new creature. I have to spawn a new creation. I need to give my life for the sake of others in order for our species to carry on. And so this salmon makes a long and arduous journey of 7,000 miles upstream. Past the clutches of these ferocious bears... Charles was putting together my slide this week. He's like, this is, this is really cool, Kurt, but you, you, do you want it to look like that? Do you, do you want it to look like the bears are going to eat the fish? I said, yes, I do. We'll explain it. We'll explain it. But this sockeye salmon goes on a long journey. And some things happen to this salmon as the salmon is on the journey. The salmon, the moment that that instinct kicks in, Thank you for putting that up because we're going to use that for our illustration. The moment that instinct kicks in, the salmon stops eating. It stops eating and it becomes so focused on making that journey upstream. As a result of the salmon refusing to eat, it starts to digest its own skin and turns that shade of red. You see, if you can take a quick look there, it's still the darker color. But it actually starts to digest its own skin because it is focused. It's willing to pay the price to get up the stream. So it makes its way up the stream. And as it's doing so, obviously, these bears are getting ready to hibernate for winter, so they've got to stock up. They can't last all winter in hibernation if they do not fill themselves with a lot of fat that will break down during their hibernation. So they just stand at the top of the riverbed and they just catch every one of those salmon that they can that's going up. And we're going to talk about how, some, how sometimes that's like us in our life. We'll get there. But the salmon, if it makes it past the clutches of those bears, will get back to the place of its birth. God is so amazing. This creature returns to the place it was born. And those sea tortoises and those sea turtles, they do the same thing. They travel thousands of miles throughout the world. And God has put that destination inside of them that they go back to the place of their birth to start the next generation. The unfortunate thing about the sockeye salmon is that after it makes it up the riverbed, and if it's a female, deposits the eggs, shortly after it dies. Because the energy exerted to go upstream all those miles, the resistance it faced to go upstream all that time cost its life. But it was willing to pay the price. You see, one of the things that I see as I look at this sockeye salmon, they say, you know what? That's a picture of Jesus right there. Jesus was also birthed in a humble beginning, Jesus spent some time growing and developing in the riverbed. And then he went out to the open sea of people and began to minister and bring the truth of God's word and freedom to the captives. And then all of a sudden, Jesus knew it's time. And Jesus set his focus on the cross. And he set his sights on what he would have to do. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And see, Jesus' flesh was also turning a shade of red as they were ripping open his skin during his scourging. And finally, Jesus Jesus made it past the mouth of the beast, got to the top of the riverbed, and through his death, we now have life. Through his death, we now have life. You see, this is just a little creature that God created. This creature was here before Jesus was born. Jesus was always the son of God. But this creature was on the earth before Jesus was born on this earth. And God was already foreshadowing what he was going to do through his creation. So much of our life, we miss God speaking to us because we're too busy and we're too distracted. See, the sockeye salmon is not just a picture of Jesus. But the sockeye salmon is actually a picture of the Christian life. There are too many young people and too many young Christians today falling away because nobody told them it was going to be an upstream journey. Nobody told them there was going to be challenges ahead. Nobody told them it was going to cost everything that was within them. Jesus did. But if we sugarcoat the gospel, we lie to people and deceive them. There is a joy that is set before us, and that is what we keep our focus on. But Jesus said, while you're on this earth, take up your cross, deny yourself, and come follow me. We're going to take a look at a few scriptures this morning, but I just want to get this picture in your mind about going against the current. See, life is difficult. God, God doesn't make the Christian life difficult. It's not God that makes the Christian life difficult. But if we're honest with ourselves, the Christian life is difficult. In fact, God knew it was going to be difficult. And so he has given us things like Psalm 37, which says, do not be envious of the workers of iniquity. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have those times in Christ where we say, oh man, these people of the world, they just get away with whatever they want. They just get to do whatever they want. And the scripture says to us, do not be envious of workers of iniquity for they will come to an end. It is a long journey when you are following Christ if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If it costs Jesus, it's going to cost us. I was talking to my dad a few months ago, and I was just kind of laying my heart out there and saying, just man, this I just it's just so hard. You know, I have such a great dad. He just looks at me, he starts laughing, and he says, You know what the problem is, Kurt? You expected this to be easy. I said, You're right. I did expect it to be easy. And if we don't wake up ourselves, and if we don't wake up the next generation, they're going to fall away because they didn't realize there's a price to pay when you follow Christ. See, the Christian life is difficult, but it's not God that makes it difficult. What makes it difficult is the moment you get born again, you're like the instinct kicking into that salmon, and you realize, this is not what I'm living for. There is something up ahead that I need to get to. But the problem is, you got to go against the current. you got to go against the grain. You have to go upstream to receive it. But you know what? Without a battle, there is no victory. And so we have got to fight that good fight of faith. We've got to be willing to go up the stream so that we can get to the other side, just like Jesus. Uh, Mike uh, Lamondi, our guitar player up here, last year, he, he, he didn't know this, but it was always on my heart to go kayaking. I've always wanted to do this. So he called me up and said, hey, come on, I'm going to take you kayaking. And you know, there's a little message within that because... I, there are some secret desires that you don't have to reveal to anybody. God just knows. And when he wants to, he just says, bam, I just want you to know I love you. Boom. So there's a little secret desire I never told anybody other than my wife. And he calls me up. He says, hey, let's go, let's go kayaking. And I said, okay, I've never been before. He said, "Oh, I'll teach you. Don't worry. So we get there, and I'm so excited. It took us like, you know, a ton of days to figure out which day we're going to get together. We get there, and don't you know, it's pouring rain. It is just, I mean, buckets buckets. And he looks at me and he says, what do you think? I said, I'm ready. I've never gone. Let's go. He's thinking to himself, I don't know why I asked you to come with me today. It's six o'clock in the morning. I'd much rather be in my bed, but we went out there and it just began to get a little nicer. It's still pouring, but it starts to get a little nicer. And we're just cruising. We're enjoying this. I'm loving this. I've never experienced this before in my life. And all of a sudden now, Mike, he's better. He's up here. And he kind of leans back and he says, okay, get ready now i said for what (laughs) what what do you mean get ready he says now we're gonna go against the current and upstream and he says don't worry just keep rolling just keep rolling with everything you got so i'm rolling i'm rolling and guess how far i'm going not far (laughs) not far and I'm rowing, and I'm rowing. He said, No, 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 you got to do it a little differently. Okay, I'm doing it a little differently. And I start to get some traction. I start to get up. He says, Don't worry, just keep going, just keep going. And finally, oh, we make it out of the current. We make it out of going upstream. And you know what happens at that point? You just need to rest. Just need to rest. How many of you know it's a lot easier to go with the current? But we are not called to go with the current. Jesus was countercultural, and his call for us is to be countercultural. Let me show you a few scriptures here today. Why is the Christian life so difficult? Does God make it difficult? No, he doesn't. But the very fact that you are going against the current puts resistance on you as a Christian. And if you don't realize that's the road, or that's the path, or that's the riverway, then you could easily just sit back and just go with the current. But if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And you don't want to go down any road. Can you take a look at Colossians chapter 1 with me? Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. The moment we're born again, we become like the sockeye salmon swimming upstream. We begin to realize that there is more to this life, that there is something that we need to do. You say, well, why does the Christian life become so difficult? Well, Paul reveals it here in Colossians 1 verse 13. He says, he who is Jesus has delivered us, translated us, taken us out of the power of darkness and conveyed us, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. When you were born again, whether you realized it or not, God deposited his spirit inside of you. See, the word born again or the phrase born again simply means to be born from above and to be born a, separate, a second time. When you're born from above, God deposits his spirit in you. And whether you realize it right away or not, you begin to see the world differently and so you are now a son or a daughter of the light and when you see the light and the world is living in darkness it's going to cause some resistance for us and so we have to realize that part of the part of the reason we're going upstream is that we no longer belong to this world we are no longer of this world God has translated us Out of the kingdom of darkness. Which means the kingdom of darkness is still operating out there. And you're walking around and I'm walking around as a light bearer. The darkness is always trying to snuff out the light. But you and I have to keep that light aflame. We have to keep that light burning. Yes, it's difficult. Check this out with me. Go to John chapter 15. Jesus warned us that it would be difficult. John chapter 15 say, Pastor Kurt, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be full of blessing and riches. It is. But there is a price to pay. Which is why Jesus said, count the cost. John chapter 15, we're going to go to verse 18. Jesus is speaking here. John 15, 18, when you get there, just shout at me. Say, I got it. Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you we are automatically engaged in a spiritual battle the moment that we are born again. And that is why we are going against the current. And that is why we begin swimming upstream. And it's so important to realize that as we begin this journey. Because if not, we can easily... Just fall back and start going with the current instead of resisting that current guess what it's hard yes it is hard guess what is difficult yes it is difficult but that's because jesus say jesus said that not many people will find the way check this out if you're in the book of john go over to the left to the book of matthew matthew chapter 7 we're going to fly through a few quick scriptures today just to lay some groundwork here john chapter 7 verse 13 Yes, I'm sorry. Matthew seven thirteen. Why is the Christian life so difficult? Well, number one, we're no longer a part of this world the moment we're born again. Number two, it is a narrow stream when you're following Christ. And that's what Jesus reveals to us here in Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. There are many, there are many. In this life, as you're traveling, you can't be focused on your right and on your left. You have to ponder the path of your feet. You have to consider well your steps. You've got to stay focused like Jesus was focused on the other side of that cross. The scripture says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Guess what? There is a great and glorious reward for you and I for enduring the upstream travel. But we can't get that great and glorious reward if we're not willing to pay the price and go to the other side of the stream and we need to be willing to do that verse 13 enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go by it because narrow everyone say narrow Narrow. is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life i'm sorry did jesus just say difficult yes he did that word translates as confined Confined is the way that leads to life. This is so heavy on my heart this morning because it's so easy to live in this Christian life and to think, oh, I'm all set. You know, my family's serving the Lord. Everyone in my camp is serving the Lord. I go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Wednesday. But when we open our eyes and we see the droves that are falling away from Jesus, especially the young Christians who didn't know that it was going to cost them something, who wanted to live for the Lord, but didn't know how to be discipled in the ways of Christ. And as a result, our falling away we need to help gird them up and strengthen them and remind each and every one of us that the road may be difficult and the road may be narrow but at the end is the way of life there is a way that seems right to a man but in its end is the way of death narrow is the way that leads to life how many of you have ever been up to like new hampshire or in purgatory chasm they have those rocks you have to try to squeeze through Man, I was a kid those things scared me. I was like, I don't want to get stuck. My question is, when the big dude goes through, what do they do if he gets stuck? That's my question. Do they do they have this pre-planned? Because you can't move those boulders. So, I don't know, this whole, you know, skinny man's chasm and all these type of things, but you know, just think about that when you're this is the way that leads to life. Trying to squeeze through. As you're watching, you're like, "Wait a minute." Nobody else is going this way. This is kind of tough. I don't see anybody else following me. Keep your eyes focused on where you're headed. Keep your eyes focused because there is a great reward on the other side. The road is narrow. We're no longer part of this world. And then one of the most challenging things about traveling upstream is that the road or the pathway upstream is actually a pathway of self-denial. See, we are born selfish. No, you don't have to tell your kids to hold on to their toys. I'll never forget that watching the kids. I didn't teach my kids to lie. I didn't teach my kids to steal. I didn't keep, teach my kids to cheat. I didn't teach them to hit. And guess what? They did all that. They did it all. You don't have to teach those things. What does the scripture say? Scripture says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. That's why the scripture says discipline your son and daughter today while there is hope. Today. And so we don't teach those things to our children, but it innately comes out of them. Well, that's because they're birthed into this fallen world and they are selfish me, 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 mine, 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 me, 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 mine, mine, mine. In the 80s, they called them whammers. What about me? What about me? What about me? I need something too. What about me? The pathway to Christ is a pathway of self-denial. Check out what Jesus said. You're in the book of Matthew, so we might as well stay there. Flip three passages to the right, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Thank you. Matthew ten thirty-eight, And Jesus said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know, when I read this, you and I, we have, um, I forget what they call it in... in in poetry, but you and I actually have in our minds that we know that Jesus ended up dying on a cross. Do you know Jesus said this before he ever went to the cross? He was foreshadowing. Jesus says these words before he even goes to the cross. Jesus was already fixed on what it was going to cost him, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Jesus says in verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Years ago when I was in college, they started implementing core courses in college. And so we had to take philosophy. And I forget if it was Socrates, Sophocles, or Plato. But I read this fascinating piece of literature. And it truly was amazing. And what this, what this writer did not realize was that although he thought he was writing enlightening words in philosophy, he was really writing the gospel. There's this story called The Allegory of the Cave, I don't know if any of you know it, but the allegory of the cave is considered a a piece of philosophy. And basically what's happening is there are these creatures living inside the cave and all they know are the shadows on the wall. But one day, one of the creatures finds his way up the difficult road out to where the hole is, where the sun comes in, casting the shadows on the wall. And this creature begins to realize, wait a minute, this is reality. That's not reality. I need to go back down to the cave and bring everybody up to the truth. And I say, what are you writing? This is the gospel of Jesus. Who do you think you are? You're enlightened. <laughs> this is the gospel of Jesus. See, it may be hard when you have to climb out. We've been living in the shadows, so many of us. Still as Christians, we're being lulled to sleep by the enemy. And if we don't wake up and don't realize it, it's going to cost us. We may get into heaven, sure. But is that all you want? Eternity is at the other side. This life is a hand's breadth. 70 years, 120 years at best. I love what Apostle Scales said years ago, which I believed he learned from Dr. Miles Monroe. I want to go to the grave empty. I want to empty everything out of me. I want to make sure I pour in into young people and other people, give everything I got. I want to write the books that I need to write. I want to sing the songs that I need to sing. I want to leave my mark for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the grave empty. Yes, it's narrow. Yes, it's difficult. But you're not living in the shadows anymore. You've been called out of the darkness and into the light. So operate in the light. Operate in the light. The other thing here that we find as we're traveling upstream, as I discovered last year, going kayaking with Mike, is that it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Remember what I said about this sockeye salmon. The journey kills it. The journey is what kills the sockeye salmon. Before we do that, I want to show you something else. Go with me to the book of Luke. See, Jesus was honest about the life that we're called to live. He didn't sugarcoat it. There are great blessings in following the Lord Jesus Christ, but it will cost us something. But guess what? It's worth the price. It's worth the price. Luke chapter 9, uh, nine. Luke chapter nine and verse 23. I want to show this to you. Jesus again says what we, uh, something similar to what we just read. Because the the pathway upstream is a pathway of self-denial. In Luke 9.23, Jesus again says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. What is it you want? What is it you desire? What is it you're chasing? What am I chasing? What are we really living for? This life is so temporary. Am I living for everything that I can store up for myself here? It's going to be gone tomorrow. Just read in the Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever. Certainly they will make themselves wings and fly away. They're here today, and tomorrow they're gone. What are we living for? What are we living for? This pathway to Christ is a pathway of self-denial. There are few who find it, but at the end is the way to life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So, as we travel upstream, yes, it is very exhausting. It is very, very challenging to go against the current. And that is why, when we're honest with ourselves, when we leave church, you know, everything seems so easy like, oh man, today was great. We had great worship. Man, the word really got me today. And we get in the car, and all of a sudden, we're operating in a different world. We are. My wife and I had the privilege again this year to go back to the weekend to remember. We haven't in been in seven and a half years. We had a great time. We went up there. Oh, my goodness. It was transformational. Every time we go, it's amazing. We get in the car ride home. <laughs> We're a half hour from our destination. And who shows up but the devil? I'm like, oh, my Lord. And guess what? We start believing him. We had this transformational experience, and here we are, a half hour away from home, and the enemy starts working. Why? Because maybe we forgot it's going to be upstream after that. We took a little rest after rowing upstream. We're flowing down, and then we didn't realize we forgot when we get back in the car. It's a battle. It's a fight for your marriage. It's a fight. And it's a fight for your walk with the Lord. It's a challenge. The enemy is always trying to resist you. And he's right there, as we're going to see in a moment, seeking whom he may devour. So let's talk about this. There's always that temptation to quit. Man, if you're really honest with yourself, I know I have. I, I remember when I first came to Jesus, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I will never turn from you, Lord. I will never stray. You have changed my life. You transformed my heart. And then about a few years later, when I really start Rowing upstream, been doing it for a long time. I started to be like, oh man, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work. There's always that temptation to quit. But let's take a look at a few scriptures here. I want to show you this in the book of Hebrews. Just turn to the right, find the book of Hebrews. Because there is that temptation to quit, but there's no temptation that's overtaken us except such as common to all. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, will also provide for you and I the way of escape. Everyone say the way, the way. Of, escape. of escape. There is relief. Okay, so let's check this out. Go to the book of James. I just uh, go to the book of Hebrews rather. Then we'll go to James. I just quoted you 1 Corinthians 10. Let's go to James. One. Where does temptation come from? See, this is so amazing. What did I say? You're confusing me. Where are we? Hebrews. Hebrews. I want to go to James. That's why. We're going to go to James. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, this is so great. Hebrews 4.14. Just when you get there, shout at me and say, I got it. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. See, so when you break that down, let us hold fast, guess what? There's going to be a bunch of things coming against you that you've got to hold fast. you remember the movie Twister? How many of you remember the movie Twister? Okay, the, the couple in the movie finds this, this pipe that goes all the way into the ground, and they do something that would never work, Hollywood. <laughs> They take their belts and strap themselves to this this pipe because it goes 300 feet in the ground or whatever. And they just stay there while the twister goes over them, okay? (laughs) Yeah, right! (laughs) But it's a good picture for our life. Hold fast, okay? Hold fast. Hold fast. Because there's going to be a great current coming against you, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, 14. uh, Hold fast the confession of your faith, verse 15. For we do... We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Double negative, which means we can turn it around to a positive, meaning we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. And he himself was tempted in all points as we, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. God knows it's challenging. God knows. You know how God knows? Jesus was put to the ultimate test you're not walking out a road you're not traveling up a stream jesus himself didn't already travel and so because he understands, he is able to offer us grace in the journey. He is able to offer us mercy as we travel upstream. Now, here's the part that we would all say, if I was to ask you why the Christian wrote is so difficult, 90% of us would instantly respond and say, well, because there's an enemy out there. You're right, there is an enemy out there, but he's not the only reason that makes this difficult. But I do want to park right now and talk about these ferocious beasts that are waiting to devour this salmon. See, the scripture tells us that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour but the thing is we say well why didn't god just take him out of the picture why why this christian life wouldn't be so difficult if the devil wasn't there oh i'm sorry because when i read my bible jesus says in luke chapter 10 verse 19 behold i give you power behold i give you power To trample down serpents and scorpions. I give you power over all the enemy. And nothing shall by any means touch you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the ultimate price. He removed the real power from the enemy. And the only thing the enemy has now is a smoke screen. He's standing up at the top of the stream, roaring down to scare you. But if you keep your focus on where you're headed, he cannot devour you. If you put into practice the power that you have been given, he cannot stop you. You're going upstream. Accept it. But He can't hold you back if we don't let Him. Jesus already took away His power. We now have the authority as His ambassadors to execute and exercise His power here on this earth. That's why we're here. So many of us walking around with our heads held low. Wake up, Christian. You have the power of the living God inside of you. Everything you need is already inside of you. The same spirit, Romans tells us, that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside each and every one of us. Nothing shall by any means hurt us. Nothing. So let's keep our eyes on the eternal perspective. Let's take a look at a few closing scriptures here. Let's go to Second Timothy, please. Paul is the writer of, of Timothy, First and Second and he's writing to this young man named Timothy who's overseeing the church at the time in Ephesus and he's teaching him how to be a good pastor and in second Timothy verse uh, chapter 4 after he talks to him about preaching the word. Man, when I first uh, became a youth director, I just could not get past 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, because Paul talks about preaching the word, being ready in season and out of season. Why? Because the time will come when because people have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll be led astray. We're living in a culture where if you have a particular bend, if you have a particular desire, you can just turn on the television, and you can get... That That pastor ain't nothing wrong with that pastor, but he's called to pastor and shepherd where he is. If we can glean something from him, praise God. But we have been called to Faith Christian Center. If you are here, and so we have been given a pastor who knows the exact message that we need to hear. And this is just a little side journey, but too much of the church today—and I don't mean this church—I mean too much of the Christian camp today—is living off of vitamins and living off of extras. See, I call all of these other great ministers out there. They are great. I have nothing negative to say. But if you're not in that church that's just vitamins and minerals you ought to be in the meat at your church that god planted you in you ought to grow where you're planted because god called you here if he called you here and he hasn't told you to leave this is where you belong so eat the meat where you are planted eat the grass where you are planted you want to take some supplements that's fine that's great take those supplements but the truth of you need is right here at faith christian center i'm just saying that's just what i'm saying here Second Timothy chapter four, and we go to verse six here. Paul says, I'm already being poured out. Paul's at the end of his journey. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. See, it's a fight and it's a race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, praise you, Jesus, the Lord himself, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. There is no victory without a battle. And we are engaged in a battle. We are traveling upstream, whether we want to accept it or not. But you know what? Some of us start traveling upstream and we get caught off by distractions. We get worn out because we're exhausted and we begin to just float for a while. But God is so good. He doesn't let us stay floating. He stirs inside of us and he says, come on, there's so much more yet to see. Come on, there's so much more yet to do. Don't get distracted. Don't lose your focus. Keep your eternal purpose. We're not going to go there, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Our focus needs to be eternal. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we do not look at the things that are seen but the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are temporary and the things that are not seen are eternal. We must, as we travel upstream, we must keep our eternal perspective regardless of what it costs us because at the end there is a great and a glorious reward. Let me pray for us today. Father, I thank you for each and every one that you have called here today to worship with us and to hear your word. I thank you that by your spirit and by your word, we're already being transformed. Lord, there are today, right now, those who have heard the word, who have followed you faithfully, but yet have gotten off course. They don't know how they got off course. They don't know what happened. And yet here they are right now. And they don't know how to get back. But right now you're reaching out and you're reminding them. As you said, you're knocking at the door of their heart saying, let me in. Let me in. Lord, I thank you for your word that it would penetrate each and every one of us. That we would be reminded that you have called us to greatness. That we would surrender to you and trust you and your plan for our life. For you have plans to bring us hope in a future, you have only good thoughts and good plans towards us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, as we continue to.